hope and pray that it is a blessing to you uh, as we go through this psalm. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy actually, it, it doesn't matter what passage it is. I enjoy taking the Bible, opening it up and saying, hey, what does this passage say and what does God want to speak uh, to us? And I don't do this often, but I, I liked this outline. I jotted it right down in my Bible, matter of fact, as I was studying. And, uh, and I, I love this. Uh, I hope and pray that, it, that it'll be a blessing to you, be a help to you as well. Psalm 17, the Bible says this in verse number one. It says, hear the right, O Lord. Attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer, that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress." Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Father, for the blessing, the privilege that we have to be gathered in your house. God, I pray that you would bless, encourage, strengthen each and every believer that's here. And God, I pray for those that uh, are not able to be here and maybe they've tuned in online. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would encourage them. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, I pray that you would again... Um, Speak to each and every heart, and Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this psalm, it is, if you have titles in your uh, Bible, uh, mine is right under the Psalm 17, it says, A Prayer of David. And this is a psalm of prayer. Uh, there's four other psalms that are uh, identified as psalms of prayer. Uh, that would be Psalms 86, Psalm 90, Psalm 102, and Psalm 142. And uh, many, many psalms uh, are prayerful in their content. Many of the psalms that we've already looked at, uh, they almost seem like a prayer in their content, but they, they're not titled as such. And, uh, and so while they, they may very well be prayers, they very well could be used as prayers, this psalm actually bears in its title uh, that it is a prayer of David. And, uh, and so that's interesting. And this, uh, the, the example of this psalm uh, is something that we could pray in our life. There's four of the easy things that we can spot in this text tonight that we're going to look at. And uh, the first one is right there in verse number one. He starts off and he says, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Now this is not new to us. We've uh, looked at in the past how uh, David has cried out to God and he's turned his attention and his focus to God. Uh, but I like the words that he uses here. As you look down there in verse number one, the last phrase, he says, not, uh, That goeth not out of feigned lips. And you say, feigned lips, what in the world are feigned lips? Well, I looked it up so you didn't have to. And the word feign simply means not real or genuine uh, or something that is insincere. 
In other words, David is crying to God and he's saying, hey, Lord, uh, he says, hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer, that goeth not out of feigned lips. In other words, David is saying, hey, I'm not praying just so that men can hear me. I'm not praying just so that other people can look at me and say, wow, look at that guy. Boy, he has such a beautiful prayer. Uh, that was not David's heart, that was not David's intent, and that was not David's purpose in praying. His prayer was a very sincere prayer. It was an earnest prayer that he was crying out to God. And sometimes, uh, sometimes we might understand, well, you know, why would people cry out insincerely to God? And, uh, and listen, I, I put down here, some pray to be seen of men, some pray to be heard of men, but we must pray to communicate to God. Save your spot here in Psalm uh, 17 and go with me to Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18, you almost cannot uh, bypass this passage when thinking about sincere, sincere prayer. Uh, this passage would come to mind, Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 9. And Jesus himself gives us a parable uh, on this prayer. Luke chapter number 18, verse number 9, look at what it says. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Isn't that interesting, the context that he gives? He's pretty clear who he's talking to. He doesn't name names. He just says, listen, this is given specifically for those who wanted to be seen of other people uh, and were not sincere with God. And so uh, that's interesting there. But look at what he says in verse number 10. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, and one, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Could you just picture him saying that? I mean, he's standing there, and boy, he's got his coat all puffed out, and his chest is high, and man, he is like, man, I am way better off than that guy. I mean, look at all the good that I am doing. It kind of makes you sick to your stomach, in all honesty. Uh, and this is what Jesus is, this is the parable that Jesus is giving. He's saying, man, this is what the, the attitude that is portrayed by this Pharisee. Now look in verse number 13 where we left off. It says, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, verse number 14, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 
Boy, we see a really clear picture here, and it has to do with pride and arrogance, and it has to do, uh, Jesus even incorporated the idea of prayer into this illustration that, hey, those who would call upon God disingenuously, and those who would call upon God for the purpose of being seen of other people, and to exalt themselves and lift themselves up, he's saying, hey, they're not going to be heard of God. And so David wanted to be very clear with God, not only with God, but anybody who would come after and read this psalm. And David wanted it to be very understood that David said, hey, I'm not praying this so that other men can see and say, wow, David's quite a guy. And, and not only that, but because it's recorded and it's written down and it is a prayer of David, he's very careful to say, hey, listen, this is a sincere and this is an earnest prayer that I am making. And, uh, and we see David's humility and his sincerity. And uh, as he prays in, in verse number one, hear me. And uh, that's the first thing that we notice is he's crying out, hear me, O God. And we notice that it is a sincere prayer because he says that it was not with feigned lips, uh, but rather that it was a sincere prayer. I want you to notice in verses three and four, he says there, thou hast proved mine heart, thou hast visited me in the night, thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. I read that and I thought, boy, that's a, a tough verse as I was looking at it. I thought, boy, that's pretty, uh, maybe that's why David prefaced this with, hey, this is a sincere and earnest prayer. And, uh, and so when I read that, uh, I thought, boy, that's interesting. Well, Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, God knew that David's prayer was sincere and that his life, though not sinless, was blameless. In other words, a lot of people believe that this psalm was written at a time when David was fleeing from Saul. And Saul would have been pursuing him uh, in, in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, let me ask you this. If you go back and you read your Bible, what did, what did David do to Saul to incite his anger against him? Nothing. David was not trying to take over the kingdom. David was not trying to topple Saul. David was, David was merely, uh, the worst thing that David did was serve God by destroying Goliath. And he did not, he did not do that with any political uh, agenda in his mind. He did not do that saying, man, if I take out this giant one day, I can be king. Hey, that was not his heart. That was not his mindset. You go back and read it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know what his heart and mindset was. He was infuriated that this, this, uh, this heathen Philistine was insulting his God. That's what, that was his heart. That was his purpose. That was his intent. He's like, who's this un uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That bothered him. He did not have sights set on the kingdom. He did not have political goals. He did not have a, a mindset of advancing to some other position. He was merely upset uh, by the fact that Goliath had defied God himself. 
And so here David is saying in verse number three, uh, I believe he's saying and in verse number four, he even says that. Uh, but he says, hey, basically saying, God, search me and see if there's any motive that's unclean in me. Hey, I want to know, is there sin in my life? And so as he's crying out to God, hear my prayer. Uh, he says, first and foremost, God, it's sincere. I'm being as sincere as I know to be. And secondly, God, I want you to search me and, and show me if there's any, any sin in my life uh, that is holding me back from, from coming to you and making a request and a prayer to you. Sometimes, as we think about prayer, and, and especially uh, many people misunderstand this idea of prayer that they think that God is just a genie that whatever wish or command or desire that we would throw his way, that he is automatically uh, responsible to grant us that request. That's not God. That's not prayer. Um, that, that's just wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about that. The Bible says in James uh, that, that uh, uh, you know, if we ask and we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust, that, hey, God's not obligated to grant us every wish. Matter of fact, good godly people like the Apostle Paul prayed and asked God. He said, God, I have this thorn in my flesh. Please remove it. And he said he prayed for it three times. What did God say? No, not going to do it. God is not obligated to answer our prayers in the way that we think he ought to, he ought to answer them. And, and so David is saying, hey, I want you to look at my life and make sure that I am clean and I'm not coming to you in, in a, in a uh, wrong spirit, a wrong attitude, or even with sin in my life. And he's saying, hey, I want to have a right relationship so that when I come to God, there's no hindrance, there's nothing between, as that song would say that we sing many times uh, in the offer or in the uh, invitation, nothing between my soul and the Savior. And that's kind of the idea that David is going to God and he, and he says there in verse number three, thou hast proved mine heart, thou hast visited me in the night, thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. Not that David is, is perfect and without sin, but rather that he has a good relationship with God. And so he's trying to make that very clear. The Bible says, he says in another place in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so he's crying out in Psalm 17, hear me, God. I'm sincere. Search my heart and make sure that I'm clean and that there's nothing. You've tried me. You've, you've, you've uh, proved me and, and you've looked over my heart. And so his first request is that God would hear him. I want you to notice the second request in verse number five. Verse number one, he says, hear me. In verse number five, he says, hold up my, go my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. So verse one, he says, hear me. Verse two, or verse five, rather, he says, hold me. And he, and he mentions there in verse number five at the latter part, that my footsteps slip not. Not. Now, if David was being pursued by Saul, as, as many people uh, believe that this was written during that time frame, and it's very possible that he was, 
If, if that is the case, there's a great amount of temptation placed upon David. You remember when, uh, when Saul was pursuing after him and, uh, and one of David's men, uh, they, they, they came across Saul at night and Saul and his men were sound asleep. They were right there. And, and, and Saul's man said, let's kill him. I mean, after all, he's pursuing us. Do you think that would have been a great temptation to David? I think it would have. I mean, uh, I think it, it probably crossed his mind, but I think immediately he thought, that's not right. That's God's man. God set him up as the king of Israel. Who am I to take that man's life? That's basically what David turns and tells his, his, his man. He said, that's not, we're not doing that. That's, that would go against God's law, and we're not doing that. But there was a temptation, nonetheless, uh, to desire to get revenge, to desire to say, man, why on earth is this guy the king of all, play, of all things? And then David says that. He says, who am I? that you would pursue me. I'm a flea in Israel. He said, I'm like so unimportant in Israel. I don't even know why you're coming after me. And, and, and the temptation would be very great for David to be mad, to be upset, to be bitter, to desire to take revenge, to hurt or destroy Saul. Uh, there was a lot of temptation. And what I'm saying is, is David is illustrating, hey, that my foots slip not. In other words, Hey, when there's a lot of pressure on your life and when you're going through a hardship and maybe somebody else is, is giving you a hard time and you've been just in the things that you have done and you haven't done anything wrong, but yet still there are people who are pursuing you or giving you a hard time, maybe even at your job or, or somewhere else and you're under that pressure. Hey, listen, there's a great amount of pressure to retaliate to those people. There's a great amount of pressure to get mad and angry at those people and just let the tongue fly. And I mean, we've all been there at one point or other, and, and we've all let the tongue fly at some point or other. And, and, and then later we have, we're regretful. We say, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't right. And so David was under all kinds of uh, pressure to do that. Don't you find it interesting? He said this in verse number three. He says, uh, I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. He's like, man, this guy's pursuing me, and there's all this pressure, and I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm not going to speak evil of the king. And he didn't. And we find that, that David was very careful, even though he was on a slippery slope, and even though he very well could have fallen into any kind of sin uh, while he was being pursued. But his prayer that he requested in verse number five was, hold up my goings. I read that and I thought instantly of when my kids were little. And, uh, and, and so we had four little kids, so I held on to two hands, and my wife held on to two hands. That's just how we did it. And, uh, and you're walking along, and, and you know when your kids get older, uh, I don't know if it's four or five, or maybe it's three, I don't know, they hit different stages, you know, and, and, and they no longer want to hold your hand. They're like, I'm a, I'm a big person. I can walk on my own. I'm like, you're going to want to hold my hand. No, I'm a big person. And sure enough, we walk a little bit and they don't hold my hand. And sure enough, they fall and they skin their knee. And I say, here, let me hold your hand. I help them up, brush their knee off, send them to mom to put a Band-Aid on. That's mom's job. I don't do Band-Aids. 
and 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 then and then you know what? I hold their hand. And, and, and they're like, you know what that is? I tell them, I'm like, it's not that you can't walk. It's that sometimes the ground is uneven. Sometimes you might slip. Sometimes you might need somebody just to kind of hold you or stabilize you so that you don't fall. Hey, listen, Christian, we need God to hold us up. David is crying out to God and he's saying, Hold up my goings in thy path, not in, not in the worldly path, but in God's path, walking down the way that God would have him to go. He's saying, God, I need you to uphold my goings, to hold my hand so that my foot does not slip, so that I do not fall into the temptation of sin. And so we find that slippery slope is there, but we find that he was dependent on on God's strength to stay right. Listen, the Bible says this in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, listen, in and of ourselves, we are not able to keep ourselves straight. We're just not. We don't have the, we don't have the capacity. We don't have the wherewithal. We need the Spirit of God and we need to hold on to God's hand so that we don't slip and fall while walking down His path and doing what He would have us to do. And so David is crying out to God and he's saying, hold up my goings. Hold on to me. Keep me from falling into sin. Keep me from uh, slipping down the, to the temptation that is before me. And keep my paths, uh, keep my feet on the right path. And he, that is his prayer as he calls out to God. Not only does he pray, he prays in verse number one, hear uh, the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. But in verse five, he says, hold up my goings. In verse number eight, he says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. So he says, hear me. He says, hold me. And then he says, hide me. Listen, it's not only that we need held up as we're going down the path, but David in this case was crying out, God, hide me from mine enemy. Hey, listen, there are the enemy is out there. They are lurking. They desire to destroy, uh, to harm Christians. We know that. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Listen, there is temptation all around us. And the devil would desire nothing more than to, uh, to see Christians fall and, and mess up their life and, and fall into sin and be destroyed in all reality. And David is saying, uh, look at what he says there in verse 8. He says, keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From what? From the wicked that oppress me, from the deadly enemies who compass me about. He said, I'm surrounded by enemies. Everywhere I turn, I've got to watch my back constantly. And he's asking God, he's saying, hey, I need you to shield me and to hide me from the enemies that are lurking. Boy, what a prayer that we need. We need to pray because we are certainly compassed about 
by wickedness on every hand. I want you to notice what he says there in verse 8. I love this. In verse number 8, he says, keep me as the apple of the eye. And, uh, and I think that phrase just has to do with the idea of an apple is just a, a nice looking fruit. Uh, you ever get, you can shine them. I mean, you ever see them shiny? It's like, I don't know, an apple when it's shiny is far more attractive than any other apple. I don't know why, it just is. And he's, that's what his prayer is, is that, hey, that I, would, that I would draw your attention because my life is clean. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Save your spot here in Psalms. Go with me to Deuteronomy. And I think David had this passage in mind. Deuteronomy would have been written. Deuteronomy would have been a book that David would have read. Deuteronomy chapter 32. We see this phrase is used in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 10. It's used in reference to Jacob. Deuteronomy 32.10, the Bible says this. Well, we'll go back to verse number 9. Deuteronomy 32.9, the Bible says this. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. You see the similarities there that really line up with David. Uh, here, here, here Jacob was in a, a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness, and, and, he was, uh, and he led him about. In other words, that God had led Jacob here and there, and, and, and he followed, and, and that he instructed him, and, and he kept him, being God, kept him as the apple of his eye. And I think that's the reference that David is making in verse number 8 when he says that, uh, that, that he wanted to be the... Uh, the apple, he says, keep me as the apple of the eye. The next phrase, he says, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Back in Deuteronomy 32, look at what the next verse says in verse number 11. He says, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them, on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. I just find the parallels uh, very interesting. And I think David's reference was there to Deuteronomy 32. And he talks about the wings in, in, in Psalm 17, 8. And he says, under the shadow of thy wings. In other words, hey, I want to draw the favor of the eye of God in my life. And I want God to be watching me. And, uh, and he's talking about uh, hiding him. In other words, hey, God, keep an eye on me and make sure that I'm protected and that I'm hidden from the enemies and 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 he gives the idea of being the apple uh, of the eye and then he gives the idea of cover me with the wings and it's not the exact same as Deuteronomy Deuteronomy kind of references an eagle that would teach their uh, young to fly but the, an eagle as well will take their wings and they'll gather their young underneath of them to protect them in a storm and in inclement weather and so he would gather them under there and that's the idea that David is giving here in verse number eight he says keep me as the apple of the eye hide me under the shadow of thy wings, from the wicked that oppress me, from the deadly enemies who compass me about. He's saying, God, hide me. And listen, boy, how we need, sometimes, 
See, the best thing to do, the Bible says that God is a refuge and a high tower. And the best thing that we can do as David is praying there, he's running to God and he's saying, God, I just want to hide in you. Man, I'm tired of all the uh, temptation. I'm tired of all the wickedness. I'm Man, I just want to get away from it all. And I just want to crawl, uh, crawl under the wing of God and be, be comforted and be hidden and be protected from the elements of the wickedness that would come against David. You could really see in his life how he would need that as he was running from a king, really in an army, who would be pursuing him and desire to see him dead in all reality. And so David is crying out and he says, hide me. He says, hear me in verse 1. He says, hold me in verse number 5. He says, hide me in verse number 8. Look with me in verse number 13. He says, arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. Verse 13, we find it doesn't have an H there in the verse, so I had to, uh, to alliterate because I just had to. So I put, help me. He's saying, God, I need you to fight my battles. He says there in verse 13, arise, O Lord. Disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked. And he says, he's saying, hey, I want you to go out and fight my battles for me, if, if you remember back in um, Exodus chapter number 13 and 14, when the nation of Israel is coming out of Egypt and the bondage of Egypt, and, and they're, they're pressed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is behind them, Moses said this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What a great verse. Stand still and see the salvation. David is saying, I'm surrounded. I need you to hold me up so I don't fall into temptation. I need you to cover me up and hide me because my enemies are, are uh, around me and constantly searching for me. And, and he says, God, I need you to help me and to fight my battles for me because I cannot. And his prayer is that God would arise and that God would bring salvation and that God would protect David. Hey, listen, we ought, to, we ought to turn over our battles to God. It's amazing what will happen when, when you allow God to fight your battles for you. And listen, I'm just telling you that David, David was in a physical conflict. His life was, we're not talking about a spiritual battle. We're talking about a physical battle where David was physically running for his life. And he said, God, help me. We're talking about the Egyptians who were physically running for their life. And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What about the, uh, the, the Gideon's army that had way too many men? And God said, no, no, I can't, I can't bring a victory with that because there's too many people. And he said, well, let's go down to the stream. And, 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 and he whittled it down to 300 men. He said, now... Now that'll work because now I can fight and you guys are just going to do what I say. And they all went up on a hill and they had a, a horn and a, and a lamp and they busted the lamp and the light shined out and, and, and they shouted uh, for the Lord and for Gideon or whatever they said. And, and what happened? God fought their battles for them. 
We're talking physical battles that God worked out for them. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying that we should never be prepared. Proverbs tells us, or maybe it's Psalm, Psalm or Proverbs tells us that the horse is prepared in the day of battle and we ought to be prepared. But I'm telling you this too, that our faith ought to be 100% placed in God. And trust in Him. You can trust Him with your battles. You can trust Him. The major, most of us are not facing physical battles where our life is on the line. Most of us are facing spiritual battles or proverbial battles. Or, and I'm not trying to belittle them. They're just as real, but, but they're not as physical. And what I'm saying is how much more it ought to be easier for us to trust God for those. Because our physical life is not on the line. We're not standing before a physical enemy that's going to kill us tomorrow. And we ought to be able to say, God, it's your battle. And he cries out to God, Arise, O Lord. Disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked. Look in verse number 15. He says this, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. There's a satisfaction in God. When you ask God to hear your prayer in sincerity, you ask God to hold you up, you ask God to hide you, and you ask God to help you, man, there is a satisfaction and a rest that comes with it that says, you know what, come what may, I know that God is in control and He's going to take care of whatever it is. And I can rest in Him. And I can trust in Him. And David said, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be, I love this word, satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Boy, we ought to be satisfied with God and allowing him to work. Just four, four little words there. Hear, hear me, hold me, hide me, and help me. What a great prayer that we can pray in our life, I don't know what problems you, you might not be going through a problem right now, but you might. What a great prayer that you could pray to God. Hear me, hold me, hide me, and help me. That's what we need for God to do in our lives. And the hear me is all inclusive. Hey, we, we need to make sure that we're living right, that we're doing right, and that we're seeking God in our life. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for...